I thought the first two or three minutes of the sermon is as important for the children, however young you are, and I use words that I know that some of you parents think, well, I've asked around and said, is it okay for me to cover this material? I hope it is. I hope I've made the right decision. But I'm talking to the children now. The grown-ups, if you want to listen in, you can. If you don't listen in, you behave yourselves. (laughs) And you sit quietly. I'd like you to fold your arms, please, grown-ups. Children, you're okay. You just look at me, but the grown-ups have got to behave while I'm talking to the children. Now, children, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend two or three minutes discussing with you why don't Christians like trick-or-treat? Now, of course, you've been to school and you watch X Factor or you watch Strictly Come Dancing last night. It's covered with Halloween. Covered with Halloween. You've been to the store with your mum or your dad. Well, your mum. Right, let's keep it right. Okay. And... Um, <laughs> And you know the first thing you saw down the aisles of any store is all these disguises about witches and horrible things and masks and stuff like that. And you know that many of your friends tonight will be going and knocking on people's doors and saying, trick or treat. Now, as the minister of this church and as a parent myself, I don't think that's a very good idea. Now, because you're, because you're sensible, you children, you're, you're sensible, right? And so I'm going to try and, in two or three minutes, tell you why I don't think that's a good idea. Let me tell you, number one, that I don't think it's a good idea, not because I think I want to spoil your fun. Because for some children, tonight is just a fun night. It's just a you know, knocking on some doors and getting some sweets and from our neighbours and whatever. It's just a fun thing. Why do the church, why do Christians complain about enjoying yourself? Well, let me tell you this. I want you to enjoy tonight more than anything. And that's for the reason that we're going to have a party tonight. From five to seven, we're going to have a party here. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay. But we're going to enjoy ourselves, okay? If you come from five to seven, we're going to have some food, some games, hot dogs tonight, we're going to have some games, we are going to sing a few songs, we're, going to, we're just going to have a hoot of a time. So I, I really do hope that you enjoy coming tonight. And bring, you can bring your mum and dad, right? That's if you've got a mum and dad, and some of you haven't, but you can bring your guardians, you can bring them along, and I promise you for the grown-ups, they'll enjoy it as well. So we do like to enjoy ourselves. But, boys and girls, my message to you today is that the thing that we are sort of making fun of tonight by dressing up in strange, you know, stuff and what have you, the person that behind all of this is called the devil or is called Satan, I actually believe he is very, very real. He exists. And not only that, I have been around on this earth for a long, long time, you can tell that, and I have seen the mess that he has made of so many boys and girls and grown-ups' lives. He has wrecked many lives. I know some children around the world who are suffering in the most horrible ways. I'm not going to go into that this morning. And I think behind that, I think the devil's behind it. I can't be more honest than that, can I? 
Now, I'm going to use a word that some of you grown-ups may not like me using this morning, but okay. The devil wants us to laugh at himself, and so he, he gets us to tell jokes about three of the most important relationships you could ever have. And so he make grown-ups especially, and children, tell jokes about sex, and lots of our jokes are about that. He'll make us tell jokes about the Saviour, that's Jesus, and we'll, we'll use Jesus as a swear word, or we won't, but certainly the world does. But then he'll make us, or he'll get us to tell jokes and laugh about himself, Satan, because one of his greatest ways of working is to disguise himself, to make himself look like something that he's not. The Bible calls it the angel of light. Sometimes he comes and makes himself look all posh. Other times, he just wants us to laugh at him, because then what happens is, you don't believe in the devil, do you? You don't believe in you don't believe all that stuff, and so he makes us think about himself in ways that are totally not true and certainly not in the Bible. But that doesn't make him any less real. Satan, the devil, and devils are are, are very very real. The first thing I want to say to any any young people and, and adults, because I've met a lot of adults who suffer from this, God is very, uh, the devil is very real, but we're never ever to be frightened of him. Let's say that, all right. Anything that makes you frightened, whether it's the bully in the school or horrible pictures or whatever, nothing that doesn't come from God. God does not want you to be frightened. God's love, there's a verse in the Bible that says, God's love casts out fear. In other words, if you've got Jesus living in you, you should not be frightened. Someone say, I'm into that. Young people, children, you don't need to be frightened. You certainly don't need to be frightened of the devil, especially if you're a Christian because Christians are much stronger than even the devil. But anyway... We don't even be frightened of him. But the devil wants us to believe that he doesn't exist, so he makes us laugh at him. And one of the things that's going to happen tonight is that lots of your friends at school are going to be dressing up and going and knocking on, and really what they're saying is, well, the devil's not real, it's just fun, it's just a bit. But the devil is real, and the devil is out to spoil people's lives and spoil families' lives and what have you. And uh, I, this was the first slide for the adults and we'll d- develop these thoughts for the grown-ups in a little while. But let me tell you this. You're not frightened of the devil, but he is real and we are to know enough about him to realise that Jesus in us is much, much stronger. God's, so here it is. God's love in our hearts drives away any fear. And I'm, I'm underlining that because that's very important. Beware... Take Satan seriously. We are not to be uninformed about the way he works. That word uninformed is probably too long a word for the children, so let me explain what I mean. We are to be understanding a little bit enough, and some of you children, your parents would have told you enough about the Bible for you to know that Jesus is real, God is real, but we do have an enemy. Who knows what an enemy is? An enemy is somebody who's out to get us. An enemy will lie about us. An enemy will bully us. An enemy will try and drag us down. An enemy will will spoil our lives. And I'm telling you this, if I read this Bible rightly, the devil is our enemy and he wants to spoil our lives. He wants to spoil young boys and girls' lives. And if I had time and I haven't got time, I'd ask you, how does he do that? Well, he does it in all sorts of ways. And he does it in ways that we're not even aware that he's doing it. He's a liar and a thief and a destroyer. And across this world, families are being destroyed because this enemy, called the devil, has got in between mum and dad who started arguing and doing horrible things to each other. 
got in between children and parents and they've just caused so much havoc. It's caused, the devil is causing so much stress and heartache in our world today. But we're not frightened of him. Because if you've got Jesus in your life, then we can overcome the devil. There is a verse, there's lots of verses in the Bible about this subject that I'm talking about. One well-known verse is found in a book called Ephesians and it says this, for we are not, this is from the Living Bible, we're not fighting against people, these enemies, these things that are trying to get us fearful and distressed and upset and, and depressed and all, and, and all the other stuff that happens in our lives. We're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. That sounds weird, but let me tell you this. If we had our eyes opened, there is a whole spiritual realm of angels and, and all sorts of other stuff in the other realm, and we'll have to talk about that to the grown-ups a bit more. But this is the Living Bible. But against persons without bodies, the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. That verse is too long for the children. It's okay for the adults. But let me tell you again to the children, you don't need to be frightened of the devil, but we don't make fun of him. And we don't like to get involved with the trick and treat. Actually, there's a very good reason, let me tell you, no, never mind about the spiritual, there's a very good reason, because you don't, children, go knocking on people's doors without parents and adults around. Just, just simply, what a ridiculous thing for parents to get children to do, knocking on doors around your street. How, how silly is that? But behind that, I'm not just preaching a negative gospel here, I'm saying that we've got to be careful of these things because they are real. I'm aware some of you adults are saying it didn't go very deep there, but I'm talking to the children. We'll go a lot deeper when the children leave us. But if your parents have said, no trick and treat, there's a good reason for it. Trust me, they love you so much that they don't want you to get involved with that stuff. Instead of that, come tonight and have a great time, yeah? Oh, yeah! Come on, now we can say, yeah, we can have a great time tonight. Right, the children will be leaving us in a little while, but we will take one more song and we will worship the Lord with our giving. And then the children and youth will be leaving us. It's great to see so many young people here, even though there's so many away at our youth weekend, and we pray for them as well. So, great to see you in church this morning. If it's your first visit here, we are thrilled to have you here. We'll see there's three or four visitors. Shall we? Just before we turn to the Bible, there's a couple of just important announcements that we need to make. John, perhaps you can just... Remind us, you will see in your programs this morning uh, a little ticket here. Um, this is, I know it seems um, a little bit obscure to be talking about Christmas, but we want to mention it now that we do have um, a visiting speaker coming to our town. The churches in our town have, have invited J. John, who is probably the foremost um, communicator of the gospel in our nation at this present moment. Not probably, I, I would say he probably is. And uh, he, has, um, he will be uh, taking a, a joint carol service on the 8th of December at Harris School. It's a, it's a venue that's uh, obviously not a church. And the idea is that we are inviting our friends to that or our non-Christian uh, uh, colleagues or whatever. There's only 800 seats in that hall. So we're limited and we're going to say, please use this ticket prayerfully to maybe consider who you could invite on that occasion. It's a Wednesday, it's the 8th of December. It'll be an ideal opportunity. They say that probably 70% of the, the population, this is J. John's um, statistics, are open to an invite to a Christmas activity. 
And so you could probably introduce somebody to Jesus by using this ticket prayerfully who you could take along to the carol service. If you've never heard of J. John, there is a little just, I know that our time is, uh, you know, is pressing on, but he's it's, it's worth it. He's a great communicator. Just click the button, David. Just look at J. John for one minute, please. One of my sons came back from school, Michael, and uh, I said to him, Michael, how did it go today? He says, well, usual, Dad. I said, oh, okay. I said, did you do anything interesting? He says, no. I said, oh, all right. He said, no, we did actually, Dad. We had to do a project on heroes. I said, did you? He said, yeah, we did. Dad, I chose you as my hero. I know. I felt the same. like overwhelmed that my son chose me but there was a lot of curiosity I said Michael why did you choose me he said because I couldn't spell Arnold Schwarzenegger Jesus Christ chose to come into all this world to deal with all the bad stuff, with all the pollution, with all that's in our lives. Why? Because we're valuable. He loves us. He wanted to ransom us. He wanted to restore us. He wanted to clean us, forgive us, heal us and save us. That is why Jesus Christ came into the world. But it cost him his life. He died on the cross. That's, that's how much it cost. It was paid on the nail. He buys his donut. He no, buys his cock. No, that'll do. <laughs> that donut illustration is incredible. Bob, what do we have to do with these tickets? Just 30 seconds. Just tell us what. Okay, so uh, folks, we could fill that auditorium with Christians. The idea is that we want to fill it with you bringing a non-Christian. So pray who you could invite, please. John, any, anything else? Okay, well, I'm not J. John, just John will do fine. Um, <laughs> right. um, just to mention, um, we have a welcome meeting. Um, if you've been attending RCF for the past six months, we're absolutely delighted um, to see you and we have a welcome meeting on Monday the 15th of November at half past seven which will be in Oxley's. And it's just a chance for you to, to actually meet um, the ministers and also some of the elders and also to hear more about RCF, where we've come from and where we are at present and where we're going um, in the future. So if you've been coming for the past six months, please we invite you to come um, to that um, event on Monday the 15th of November and there's some like refreshments as well. So. <laughs> um, also to say that there's a water baptism service planned for Sunday morning, the 28th of November. And if you would like to be baptised, um, or else, even if you're thinking about it or want to know what water baptism is all about, apart from just getting wet, um, then please come and speak to either um, Barry or myself, and we'll be delighted to give you more details on that.
Finally, um, Church Weekend Away next year um, is the 13th to the 15th of May. It's at Cloverley Hall, which is in Shropshire. Um, it's going to be a great weekend, but we need some more bookings. There's still some more spaces available. Please, if you um, want to know more information about that, please see this jelly. This, could you please stand? There's this there. Either this or myself, and we'll be, able, we'll be delighted to give you more information on that. Um, I think that, oh, where's Beth? Beth, where are you? Beth, quickly come down just to announce about tonight. Thank you. Um, just about tonight, it's going to be really, really fun, so everyone is invited, and don't forget your king or queen costume. Um, but there is a bit where we're having food and drinks, so if there is anybody that would be willing to be on the kitchen for that bit, could you see me or Pauline at the end? And yes, after the service, if we could all help putting the chairs away, that would be really great. Thanks very much, Beth. Let's see that for Beth. Yeah. Okay, Barry. Thank you. Okay, if you see in your program there, hopefully you'll take that away and read that. You'll see that next Sunday we have um, our Ealing missionaries from Romania speaking. Uh, that's Bob and Edith. And, uh, and uh, our, t- our team from our church went there this last summer. And as he's here, he ar- he's asking for stuff that maybe he could take back to Romania. We will be giving him some money, obviously. Read there, you'll see the list there. Um, the- he has requested hats, scarves and gloves for teenagers there who... Uh, haven't got those basics and he deals with a lot with gypsies and what have you and um, so please read that if you have a bible would you please turn with me to the book of revelation and then turn one back from that to the book of jude which is a very small little book right at the end of the bible and we've uh, this is the fourth time we've been having a little look at that and we're basically going verse by verse if, if you're a guest here, because we believe that the Bible is very powerful and, uh, and we don't need to just pick and choose. We can just go through a book and learn lessons from it. And it falls quite um, interestingly on this trick-and-treat day on the subject that we're going to cover. So the book of Jude, we're going to read the first ten verses of the book of Jude this morning. Um, we've already covered the first few verses there, but Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James... To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Verse 2, mercy, peace and love be yours in abundance. Verse 3, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and and Lord. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. 
in the very same way. These dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively about, against whatever they do not understand. And what things they do understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. Now immediately you might say, what has that got to do with me? What on earth, what relevance has that got to do with 21st century living and what lessons can we learn from that? Well, I believe that we can learn lessons from every, uh, every verse of Scripture. I'd like just to stay for a, a little while, just a couple of minutes, on the subject that we were talking to the children about. And that's the subject of taking spiritual warfare seriously. There's that verse, and I know I'm jumping, I will go back to verses 5, 6 and 7 in just a little while, but there's that verse that I'm just going to just point out and make a comment on. In, the, in verses 8 to 9 it says, In the very same way these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority and slander celestial beings. And then it gives us an example, and it says, uh, or, or Jude does, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the law rebuke you. Now you say, what has that got to do with me? And what's that got to do with the subject that we're discussing this morning, or have done already? Well, if you remember the, the story that, that revolves around, as it were, and basically my point I'm trying to get across here is treat Satan seriously. That's the point. Beware, take Satan seriously. And the story is, over there in the Old Testament, that the archangel Michael recognised that Moses, who died on Mount Nebo, he was alone, and we're told in this particular part of the New Testament, we, don't, we didn't, weren't aware of this in the Old Testament, but it must be true because the Holy Spirit's revealed this to this man, Jude, that Satan disputed that Moses should be buried. And the reason was that Moses was a murderer. We know he murdered because he m- murdered those... Um, those Egyptian folks, and a murderer can't just be buried like that. It's, 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 it wasn't right in the Jewish law, as it were. And here we've got this situation where the, where the archangel Michael, and it seems obscure, it seems nothing to do with us, but it's got everything to do with us. And Satan is arguing with one of the key angelic beings, and we'll talk about angels in a little while, and he's arguing about the body of Moses. You say, well, who cares whether Moses was buried or not? What relevance has that got to do with me? Don't you know what kind of week I've had? Well, let me suggest if you've had a bad week, it may well be that you've been satanically attacked. And we've got to treat Satan seriously. I've got a whole series on spiritual warfare, which we will go through at some stage or other. But here, in this particularly obscure reference... The archangel Michael treated Satan very seriously. We are told that he, 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 he said, the Lord rebuke you. I can't say anything against you, but the Lord deal with you. What am I saying here? I'm saying that the devil is very real and that we're not to be ignorant of his devices. It's not my job this morning to go into all of that, but I've got a whole series of study notes on 
on good angels, bad angels. We'll cover that in a little while because we're going to have to look at the angels in the verses that we've just read and, and where Satan came from and, his, uh, origi- and how he was cast out of heaven and all sorts of other things. And, and we're going to have to talk about angels that are good, but certainly a third of the angels that were swept out of heaven and they've become demons, they're spirits. And my guess is that we're going to be surprised at a couple of things when we get to heaven. Well, the first thing we might be surprised at is that you're there. <laughs> then you, you might be surprised at the people who are not there. You thought they'd be there. You might be, if it's possible to be disappointed in heaven, my guess is it's not, but you, might, you, might, you could be disappointed because when you find out how much could have been achieved through prayer but was not achieved because we didn't pray as much as we should, maybe, maybe that could bring us a bit of disappointment. But the thing that I think that will surprise us is the fact that we were totally unaware that whilst we're looking for life on other planets and sending out these probes and all sorts of other things, we're spending billions of pounds trying to find out if there's uh, some other life in the universe, right in front of us there is another world, a spiritual world, that sometimes we get glimpses of and that there's this spiritual battle going on around our ears. We quoted that verse in Ephesians 6. We're not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against world rulers in in heavenly places. And this whole concept that even here, angels and demons come to church and can be whispering in your ear. You say, this is over the top stuff. If it's over the top, it's biblical. And I want to just develop that thought, not not about spiritual warfare because that's not my subject this morning, but certainly if the archangel Gabriel took Satan seriously when they were discussing whether Moses should get, get, get buried, the point of that story is, listen, you take spiritual warfare seriously. You take the devil and today people are laughing at the devil and he's done the, the greatest trick, his, his vanishing trick, he's made us all think that he's just got horns on and he's breathing fire and he holds a fork, load of rubbish, he's real. And he's out to lie and steal and destroy. And I didn't say this when the parents, when the children are in. But every broken family where mother and father have split up and many of you here have gone through that pain. What's behind that? There's a spiritual fat battle going on. Every child that's abused in this street is satanically inspired. And I think to myself, these folks who think the devil doesn't exist. Well, who is carrying on his work? Because somebody is. Because you've just got to open your eyes and see the wretchedness of, of our society. So, that's all very serious, John, isn't it? But sometimes we've got to be serious. Treat Satan seriously. So let's just go back now and remind ourselves that we're, we're, we're looking at the book of Jude and Jude is asking us to remember certain things. He's, in actual fact, he's, he says lessons from the book of three Old Testament reminders. Okay? And this lovely little verse, though you already know all this, I want to remind you. Now, let me tell you this. My sermons will do one of three things. Quite simply, my sermon will reinforce what you already know. And I know that most, many of you here don't need sermons from me because you're perfectly capable of feeding yourself from the Scripture. And I'm just here to reinforce what you already know. For others, I'm just here to remind us of things that you've forgotten. Maybe, maybe you've just let that concept of spiritual warfare 
not be as, as poignant as it should be. And I'm just here to remind you, remember that there is a devil out to get you. He knows your weakness. That's why I've got to put on the whole armour of God and your point of weakness will be different from mine and I've got to hold the shield of faith and, and wear the helmet of salvation and what have you. The same as you have. So I'll remind you that in other times we will be revealing something that you don't know. It may well be in this, this very chapter here there will be stuff here that you will thought, well, I hadn't seen that before. And that's fair enough. And so in this particular series we've been remembering how important that is. Remembrance is important. Do this in remembrance of me. I thought we were having communion this morning, but in actual fact it's next Sunday. And we will be remembering the Lord's death. Part of our, of our Christian experience is just reminding ourselves of certain things. Remember, I, I, I mentioned last week, uh, God in times of trouble. Remember God in your youth. There's a whole list, list of things that we're to remember. And in his inimitable way, he's got ten three-point sermons in this book. He likes trilogies. We've already seen three of them in the opening verses. He talked about being called, loved and kept and we developed that and then we looked about mercy, peace and love, speaking those words over. And if you were three points and when I was at Bible college they told me three things. Stand up, speak up, shut up. The shut up bit is not as... (laughs) Some of us preachers don't do that as much as we should. But hopefully I'm speaking up so you can hear. And hopefully you've got the, the mind of the Spirit that you're hearing what the Spirit is saying to you as well as the preacher who is very fallible. But here he's going to give us the third of his trilogies. He's going to say, I simply want to remind you, I wanted to do something else when I came to write a letter to you, but I can't. I've got to remind you about some stuff that really you already know. But I'm just here to remind you. And last week I told you of the first of the three Old Testament little illustrations that um, Jude was reminding his hearers of. And the illustration was the deliverance from Egypt. And he said, you know all about that. You've read your Pentateuch, your five books of the Old Testament. They read it regularly every year. You know that, uh, that, that God delivered all those two and a half million people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And, and, uh, and you know what happened there. Do I need to remind you about what happened there? Do I need to remind you about the manna that, was, uh, that they were fed with? The, the water that Moses uh, that struck the rock and, and the waters flowed? Do I need to remind you that the sandals didn't wear out? And this remarkable miracle of deliverance from, the, from, from Egypt and then the, the wilderness wanderings. Only 11 days it took to get across to the promised land, but instead of 11 days, it took 14,549 days. Because they hadn't learned the lesson. Lesson number one, have continuing faith in Jesus Christ. That was really what I was trying to get across last week. And I know that I, I have somebody who's an English teacher made, made me, rem, rem, sort of not question, but sort of thought, made me think about this, but believe is a present continuous sense. In other words, you don't just believe, you've got to carry on believing. Those people may have gone through the, the Red Sea and maybe even been delivered from Egypt, but they needed to carry on believing and many of them didn't. And this is the message of Jude. They didn't carry on believing and so they perished in the desert. Pause. How long have you been a Christian? Don't answer, it's rhetorical. Some of you, anyone been a Christian longer than me and I've been a Christian since, oh, hang on, 64. Anybody been a Christian longer than 40 years? Longer than 50 years. 50. Any advance? Anyone been a Christian longer than 50 years? Oh, 
goodness. Anyone been a Christian longer than 60 years? No. Well, 50 years. All right. How long you flow? 155. 55 years. She got saved when she was one. All right. <laughs> Jude is going to say, thank God for the day you got saved. But have you been continuing? Have you been waylaid? Has circumstances taken you off the path? Have you grown cold? Has your faith diminished? Or have you been going on in faith? And this word keep is going to be a word that, that Jude uses. Your, God keeps you, but you keep yourself. These angels are going to be kept in nether gloom and what have you. But certainly this word, keep yourself in the love of God, we're going to find when we eventually get to the end of this book of Jude. Have you been walking and continuing in faith? That was last week's lesson. And it's part of the trilogy of the, th- the, the three Old Testament illustrations that he's reminding them of. Now, fasten your seatbelts, because we're going to look at the second one, which seems a little obscure, but we've got to cover it, because it's in the Bible, and I love it when, when we cover stuff that seems a little obscure. Here it is. Okay, so verse 5 said, though you already know this, I want to remind you, that the Lord delivered the people out of Egypt. Well, then you know that story, but later destroyed those who did not believe. But then he goes on to say in verse 6, and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. What is he talking about? The angels. Well, first and foremost, I'd like to suggest that the, the, he's going to be talking about the pride and the lust of the angels, and I will actually explain what I mean. And the lesson, the basic lesson, if the first lesson is stay close to Jesus and and remain faithful to Jesus, continue in faith to Jesus Christ, the basic lesson I believe that we should be getting from this is don't rebel against the Father. And this is how I'm going to unpick this, okay? If you know your Old Testament and you know your New Testament, you know that there are these spiritual hosts in the heavenly realm. Angels. We find that there's teaching, and again, this, is a, this, this could be hours of teaching about the origin of Satan and the origin of angels and how, where they are in the authority of uh, realm of Jesus. But let me say this, there's a lot of them. We're told that, that every baby has an angel. We're told that there are territorial angels that look over after nations. These are all things that we could develop. And as a result of that, what happened was that the angels were told in Isaiah, and you can look up the notes, I've given you some verses to cross-reference and look up, the angels um, had a job. They were messengers, but they were guardians, and we don't quite know sometimes that we've been entertaining angels and we weren't even aware of it. They haven't got wings. The cherubim have got wings. But by and large, you may, be, you may have entertained or met up with an angel and didn't even know it because they can come and look like human beings. happened a lot in the Bible. Angels are real. The clever Yuri Gagarin, Yuri G- whatever his name was. Good. That's, that's the one, thank you. You know, the first bloke up in the Sputnik, he came down and the Russians said, oh, we went up there, we couldn't see any angels. I think there was some American says, you step out of your spacesuit, you'd sooner seen one, then that's for sure. But they were, oh, we didn't see God up there, don't see any angels. But you don't see them unless you've got spiritual eyes with the servant of Elisha, the story that you know, some of you. When he's realises he's surrounded by a whole army coming to get him and his master, Elisha says, just open his eyes. And when the eyes were opened, he saw a whole host of angelic beings riding chariots. I've spoken to a couple of missionaries this week. I was away for a day at a a, a conference. and, and, And how they would have... 
in many respects, they've experienced dangers. One particular story where this missionary was cycling down a particular area where there were terrorist threats. And I believe this. You may not be, but I believe this. And later on, he was able to get through that safely. And later on, he met some of the terrorists. And he said, why didn't you attack me? What, what, what? And he said, well, you had all those other cyclists with you. What other cyclists? Well, there were angels on cycles. Does anybody apart from me believe that story? I've got no problem believing that. They ride chariots, they can ride bikes. <laughs> we are not aware of the fact that we are surrounded by, by, by angelic beings for our protection. But we are told, we are told that some of those angels left their place. They got proud. Lucifer, the, the chief musician, we are told got proud and wanted to be like God. And so the, 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 the tail of the dragon in Revelation 12 sweeps a third of the angels down. That's a lot of angels. They become what we now call demons. And they're here to tempt us. And to, they're, they're, they have a hierarchy, the same as God has a hierarchy with his angels. You read that in Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 6, Satan has copied that hierarchy and there's... There's powers and principalities and and there's organisation among demons. And this is a huge subject. But let me tell you this. We are told in Jude that in the same way some of them left their place, even the angels of God left their proper place, got proud and came down to earth and were cast out. And Jesus said, when he'd sent the disciples out and they'd cast out demons and they'd done fantastic miracles and they'd come back and say, hey, even the demons are subject to us. Jesus said, listen, don't you start getting too proud about that. I saw Satan cast out of heaven. And certainly pride has a way of dragging any of us down. And that's the story behind what we're talking about here. These angels would now be called demons. And this particular group of demons is, is an interesting. Now I'm going to mention something here. That's one reference, okay, in Isaiah, that, um, or more than one reference, about how the, the, the angels have left their proper position and have been cast down. There is quite an unusual verse in Genesis 6. Would you turn with it, me, please? I'll just throw this out to you and leave it with you, whether you think my, my understanding of this verse in Genesis 6 is true. But I'll give you options. Um, so God's judged the independence, the pride, the angels who did not keep their positions of authority. That's the, the first lesson from Jude concerning these angels. It's only one little verse. But is Jude referring to Genesis 6 when he's talking about angels who left their position? Genesis 6 says, When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal, his days will be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God were, went to the daughters of men, they had children by them, and they were heroes, old of men of renown. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of his thoughts and of his heart was only evil at the time. And he decided to destroy the world. Now, what is those obscure verses? Is that what Jude is talking about? 
Well, there are different opinions of those verses. Some say that's the Sethites in chapter 5. Others say the sons of God are the righteous people and they shouldn't have married the unrighteous people and what have you. But there's some clear indication from Peter and from Jude that these are angels who left their proper place. Angels who cannot marry or, or, or between themselves. But there is a, a school of thought that said they, can, they could and did have sex with humans. You say, wow, this is heavy stuff. And as a result of that, a, a, a breed of, of giants were created, Nephilim, some, some, some creatures there. Um, and they sed- these angels seduced mortal women. Incidentally, Rose from His Baby, a film that was a long time ago in the making, um, if you ever came up against that film, that was the very subject. Um, spiritual forces, angels having sex with human beings and, and the creature that was formed out of that. So the world is aware of the possibility here. Now, if you're interested in that, you can look it up yourself. I'm not going to spend a long time on that. But I am going to suggest to you that if Jude is referring to that and maybe referring to the Isaiah verses as well as this, then basically there are two lessons that he's trying to say. Listen, I'm not mentioning these angels for no particular reason. I'm not getting Barry Killick to preach through the book of Jude because it's just interestingly uh, intellectual for you. What are the lessons? Remember history. I'm reminding you of something. And what is Jude reminding us of? Basically two things. Number one, the independence, the pride of the angels who left their, their, their proper place and were, and were cast down. And now are demons and they will be... Uh, by the way, demons and, and the devil, they're, they're the only ones that will not get a can't be saved. There's no redemption for them. There's redemption for every human being who calls on the name of Jesus. But not for these angels. We're told, again in the New Testament, that God has prepared hell and the flames of hell for the devil and his angels. He doesn't send any human being to hell. Pause. Any human being that arrives in hell arrives there because you choose to go there. You choose to follow the salvation that Jesus has offered. But there is a hell and there is a heaven. Does anybody say, Barry, I think I'm still with you on this. Does anybody apart from me believe in heaven and hell? I'm sure you do. I hope you do. How heavy is this, John? But there you go. We go for it anyway. And so the second lesson, okay, if the first lesson from these angels is pride, the second lesson is the indulgence of lust. Independence and indulgence. The angels left their proper dwelling. I'm not going to develop that anymore. I wish, I'd love to be able to um, develop that and have questions and answers and discussion because some of you may have your own thoughts and maybe your own opinions on Genesis 6, but (coughs) I'll give you that as thoughts. I almost want you to stand up and stretch because that was a bit heavy going, but you're still with me, are you? Okay, so let's just, we've got five or seven more minutes. Let's look at the third lesson very briefly. And he's going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, oh no, not another lot. (coughs) This is the third lesson from history. In a similar way, I'm reminding you of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the surrounding towns, they gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They, were as, as, uh, they, they serve as examples of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. <clears throat> now, let me remind you of what happened there. You know what happened. Abraham and Lot, they're coming over from, 
along, along the Euphrates, they're coming, they've been told to go to a new land and they arrive at the promised land and their, their, their tribes have been arguing and so Abraham says to Lot, you choose wherever you fancy going and back then in those days the, the Rift Valley where the Dead Sea is now was full of lush vegetation, it was a beautiful place, it was full of trees. And so Lot chooses to go down to the, the valleys of uh, where these four towns are, including Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's, it was a lush, beautiful place. Israel is a great place to go to. I pray you'll be able to get there. You, uh, you, you're up in Jerusalem and it could be snowing. You go down that great steep... It only takes about an hour to get down there. You're among tropical forests. And there Lot is going down there and he, he engages in the society that he finds himself. Abraham goes and lives elsewhere up on the hills. And as Lot is there, he, he, he gets so engrossed in the society of Sodom and Gomorrah, he becomes one of their elders. But let me tell you this, the, the, the comfort, the materialism of Sodom and Gomorrah has caused them to indulge in stuff that eventually ends up in some horrible, horrible stuff. Now you know I've got to talk about homosexuality here. You know I've got to mention that because you know about Sodom and Gomorrah, don't you? You know that you just need to look at the English um, dictionary and sodomites are there. That's where the word sod comes from, the swear word. So you know that I've got to mention this subject. Now am I going to stand up here and start telling you that homosexuality is wrong? Yes, I am. But I'm going to put it in context that heterosexual sin is as bad. I'm going to say, listen, if you're sleeping around with a member of the opposite sex, is that any different? You say, oh, well, yes, probably I could give you some scripture where it could be considered different. But let me put this in context. Let me remind you of a verse from Ezekiel about Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you just click on the, the lesson we're going to learn by this is leading, we need to be leading of the Holy Spirit. Abraham gave Lot the choice to go. And this is a verse that comes from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16, verse 49 says, Behold, this was the, the guilt of Sodom. Okay? It says, She and her daughters were arrogant. They had pride. They were overfed. Anyone guilty? They were overfed. This is a Bible verse, by the way, and unconcerned about the poor, maybe. They did not help, it is, and they did not help the poor and needy. So here's, here's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, okay, before we start knocking the homosexuals. Okay. Behold, this was the guilt of Sodom. They, they, had, they were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me, therefore I did away with them. The detestable things we know about the Sodomites. We know about that from the story when, when angels come to visit Lot and they, they, they want to have sex with these two angels. If you want to read that, it's in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And so therefore we can say, oh yeah, let's, you know. Before you ever got to get to the detestable things, it's like a slippery slope. And if I read Romans 1 correctly... I find that ever since the beginning of creation, God's eternal power and deity has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Therefore you are without excuse, O man. And it goes on to talk about every one of us has got enough revelation of God to be able to worship the one true God. 
But because we don't worship the one true God, we say, well, I'm going to do, do it my way, God. I'm going to live the way I want to do. And God says, you get on with it. If you live the way your life without me, then basically God lets the handbrakes off of your life and off of society. And instead of like the evolutionists saying we're getting better and better in every way, that's not what happens. You get worse and worse and worse. You slip down the slippery slide and Romans 1 talks about stages of, 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 of sin. The kind of stages here, the, the, the arrogance, the, the overfeeding and the unconcern for the poor. And eventually you end up in a quagmire where you are messing around with your body in a way that God calls detestable. But we don't start there. You say, what has that got to do with being overfed? It's in the Bible. You get loose on one thing, you start slipping down the slide, and I tell you, you end up in a mess. You end up in a mess. Potentially, any of us could end up in the mess. Once you say, I can do without you, God. I can live without you. That's what was happening with Sodom and Gomorrah. You say, wow, this is heavy. And Jude is saying, learn the lesson. Remember history. Keep Jesus close. Carry on worshipping. Read the Bible. Stay close to Jesus. Put a guard on your marriage. Hold the shield of faith. Get hold of that sword which is the word. Put on the helmet of salvation. Be careful little eyes what you see and mind what you allow to come into your life because the slippery slope says you might start with seemingly insignificant misdemeanours or sins but you could end up in a horrible mess. And on the journey, you might st- start playing fast and loose with, with the opposite sex and, and, and indulging in sexual activity that God says, listen, I love sex, it's great, I created it and I want you to enjoy that in the confines of the discipline of a committed relationship which is called marriage. And We are all very good and we could condemn the next stage down. But I'm suggesting, yes, Condemn it all. Not condemn, but just say, not condemn the person, but condemn the sin and start in my life. Say, Lord, I want to make sure that I stay close to you. I want to listen to the voice of your Holy Spirit. This morning's lessons in a nutshell. Though you already know this, I want to remind you. You already know this stuff, says Jude. Deliverance from Egypt. Keep faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just a one-off salvation. Make sure you stay close to him. Lesson number two, pride and lust of angels. If you don't like the lust bit, then throw it out, but certainly the pride is there. Don't rebel against the Father. The angels rebelled against the Father. They end up being kicked out, kicked out of heaven. If it happened to them, it could happen to you, says Jude. Third lesson, Sodom and Gomorrah. Always follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Lot went down there. And ended up enmeshed in stuff that we now call sodomites and what have you. But it didn't start with that. I need to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in every day of my life. Well, I'm glad I got that one over with. There are some sermons you don't fancy preaching. I wasn't looking forward to that one. But it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible, it's there for our... All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Please, John, help me save the meeting. 
send us out with a, we can't go in this heavy mood. Send us out with some song that will raise our spirits, please. Is that okay? Listen, tonight's for grown-ups, okay? Five o'clock. By the way, it's not five o'clock cup of tea, half an hour messing around. Five o'clock the programme starts, okay? We've got some stuff going on and then there will be, there will be games and stuff and whatever, which all the adults can... You don't have to do anything silly. If you don't want to dress up, you don't have to. Yes, you do.